This is Louisiana Considered on WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Diane Mack. Just ahead on today's show, an annual festival of light, art, and technology will light up New Orleans' downtown riverfront. And a special Christmas concert of Spanish music awaits listeners at St. Louis Cathedral. But first... A few years ago, Alabama's Department of Archives and History found thousands of objects from Native American graves in its collection. It also found over 100 sets of ancestral remains. Now the institution is working with tribal nations to give them back. For the Gulf States Newsroom, WBHM's Kyra Miles reports on this complicated process. The Alabama Department of Archives and History paints an impressive picture. Giant white columns rise above groups of elementary school students. It's a welcome site for staff, including Kelly Bowers. This is literally a stop for pretty much every fourth grader in the state and has been for a really long time. So this is the hub of Alabama history. Lately, people have noticed that one of the exhibits is gone. So you can see this is a section where objects have been obscured from view. This same is true over here. We've got the first Alabamians exhibit showed the life of Native Americans in Alabama. But in 2018, the department realized that most of the objects on display were funerary objects and taken without proper permission. Getting those objects back to tribes is Bauer's job. She oversees the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, or NAGPRA, a federal law that requires public institutions to return cultural objects to indigenous Americans. So Bowers and her team created an inventory, established relationships with tribes, and now they have to start giving stuff back. In speaking to my own children about this, when they ask me what I do at work, what I say is sometimes you do something wrong And when you realize that you've done something wrong, you do everything that you can to make it right. And when you have something that doesn't belong to you, you do whatever you can to give it back. Bauer says they're redesigning the exhibit and want to include indigenous voices from across the country. Something like the exhibits at the Porch Band of Creek Indians Museum in Atmore, Alabama. It's a small museum, and the people you're learning about are the people you're learning from like Brandy Chun. His day, Brandy Chun, Joho Jifkaros, is the Muscogo getaway, is Porch Alabama a day dos. So I just said, hello, you know, um, I'm Brandy, or I'm from Porch Alabama, and I'm a Creek person. Chun says this museum is important, especially in Alabama, because it lets people know who shaped the land and the resilience of Porch Creek people. You know, you're, you're, you're proud of where you are. You're proud of where you come from. You're proud of your people. I'm proud of who my parents were. I'm proud of who my grandparents were and all the struggle that they had to, to get where they are. So to me, it's just like I'm carrying the torch forward. 18 tribes have been working with the Alabama archives. One is the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians in North Carolina, where Miranda Panther oversees NACPRA. She says working with the Alabama archives has generally been a good experience. But not everyone is there yet. The state of Alabama is really difficult. We have had the highest incidences of looting in that state over the past few years. Sometimes those objects or human remains are used in scientific research. But in many cases, they weren't donated to science. They were taken. Whether it's an object dug up by a private collector or part of an archaeological dig, the end result is the same. Once it's gone, you can't get it back. 
and cultural resources are non-renewable. So if they've been destroyed or collected, you know, not only does that not provide any cultural context for tribes, but it's just gone. Panther says NACPRA isn't just about following a federal law. It's a human rights issue. And I really think that we're turning the tide in the professional realm of getting more people on board with taking objects off display, making sure that research isn't occurring without the appropriate tribal people's permission. Panther says she's been using the Alabama archives as a good example of what should happen across the Gulf South. What are now Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana are the ancestral homelands for many southeastern tribes. But most of those tribes were forced to move further west during the Indian Removal Act. Deanna Byrd is the NAGPRA coordinator for one of those tribes, the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. She's been working with Alabama for years. I think that they'll probably always be one of those states simply because they were a huge uh, landmark for us in our homeland. So, you know, Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama will probably always remain open um, because we work with federal agencies on a regular basis down there. So what happens when the tribes get their objects back? Well, that's private. For one, certain ceremonies are part of closed religious practices. But also, tribes don't want to take the chance of people looting. Bird says working on repatriation has its good moments. It's exciting to make connections and progress with different institutions. But sometimes it weighs on her. There's days where it's um, it's a little bit more uh, heavy, you know, when you have to to make maybe a decision about something that you, you know, were never really intended to make. Like how to care for someone's ancestors. But she says there are gratifying parts of the process, too. We pray with these ancestors and we we do all of the the legal paperwork, right, the admin stuff. But there's also a spiritual component. And so it's very rewarding. And there's a sense of joy in being able to keep that promise that they're going to be able to find peace again. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Kyra Miles. Lunafetch, New Orleans' annual festival of light, art, and technology. Organized by Arts New Orleans, formerly known as the Arts Council of New Orleans, kicks off this week at the Ernest and Moriel Convention Center Pedestrian Park. Lunafetch's ninth edition celebrates the city's history of costumes and craftsmanship. Arts New Orleans CEO Joycelyn Reynolds joins us with details. Welcome to Louisiana Considered. Thank you, Diane. And congratulations to you on your new role as head of Arts New Orleans. Joycelyn, this is a full circle moment for you as you have been with the nonprofit organization for several years and took the helm during a difficult time for the arts. What are your thoughts on the resilience of the arts community during the height of the pandemic? Well, the arts community has always been resilient. You know, we were lucky that We had different resources to help us through the pandemic, and we are happy to be back and running at 150%, it seems. (laughs) Now, Lunafed is such a cool end-of-year celebration that Arts New Orleans does to support the city's creative artists. What was the original idea behind the festival? You know, it's a unique festival. The focus is light arts and video mapping, and it's still a new art form in the United States. 
LunaFed is the longest-running light festival in the U.S. We had a director who actually went to France and saw all of their light projection festivals. And the thought back then was, let's bring this back to New Orleans. And we have been working to train artists to see them grow in that area. Now, what exactly does that mean, a light projection festival? Well, video mapping is when you take a building and you look at the structure of the building and the artwork that's shown, it's media, and it transforms the building, the shape of the building, the design of the building. And it's a very expensive medium to work in. And this year's celebration is entitled Wild Creation. What will visitors experience? Our focus this year is on Mardi Gras Indian costumes. We've commissioned Mardi Gras Indian queens to create light-up suits. In 2019, I had a conversation with Sharice Harrison Nelson, who is a very well-known Mardi Gras Indian queen, and she said she had an idea of creating a suit specifically for LunaFed. And so then COVID happened, and we were able to plan the entire year and contract with Sharice and another Mardi Gras Indian queen early this year. So we're so excited to be able to showcase their original artwork. And Sharice is bringing a child who will also be in a light-up Mardi Gras Indian suit. (laughs) We've contracted with other artists, designers, to create wearable art. And the main projection will be done by Design Kit from Thailand. And the focus will be illustrating black masking Indian traditions. It's called The Sewing of the Soul. Light Connector from Okobo, a Portuguese group, they're going to present an interactive floor installation which features patches of light that follow participants as they explore the space. And Evanescence is an Australia group, Etelier Sisu, and they'll exhibit a pile of enormous light bubbles that resemble oversized, deconstructed Mardi Gras beads. Oh, wow. How large is this? I think they may be about six feet. It's really huge. They're oversized. The entire festival takes place outdoors? Yes. The entire festival is along the pedestrian park, beginning at Julia Street and Convention Center and you just keep walking down. The video mapping projection will be on the facade, Hall D, of the convention center. It will show every hour beginning at 6 p.m. So at 6 p.m., 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m., and 10 p.m. And how long is that show? The show is probably about 12 minutes. It's brief. You know, when we do LunaFed, people stay for multiple shows. But between shows, they get to visit the other artwork and get food and buy gifts from the arts markets and just enjoy the festivities. How does this festival advance our artists' technical and their artistic skills? You know, we bring in various instructors who work with artists throughout the year. For example, the Mardi Gras Indian Queens and the Black fashion designers worked with a lead artist, teaching them how to build light art in designs. 
So I'm excited to be able to see those pieces of art. You know, past participants of LunaFet have also gotten other commissions to do light artwork. In the future, we hope that the main video mapping projection is a local artist. Are there other events in connection with LunaFet? Yes, this year will be the first Luna Ball. It's a gala. We're encouraging people to wear light art, like light up earrings, and we'll have some things to sell at the door. But it's on Saturday, December 17th, from 6 to 8 in Hall A of the Convention Center. This event is to help support Arts New Orleans. And what would you say will stick with visitors long after this holiday experience? It's a family-friendly event. It's a free event. And so people will just enjoy seeing unique creations. And we will have some music there this year, too. It's a really wonderful festival for the city of New Orleans. Arts New Orleans CEO, Joyce Lynn Reynolds, this has been fun. Thank you. LunaFet, New Orleans' annual festival of light, art, and technology, runs December 15th through 18th at the Ernest and Moriel Convention Center, Pedestrian Park. More info is online at artsneworleans.org. You're listening to Louisiana Considered on WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Diane Mack. Tis the season for holiday concerts, and this week, the historic New Orleans collection is hosting La Noche Buena, Spanish Christmas music of the New World. The free performance is part of New Orleans' annual holiday chorale concert series held in St. Louis Cathedral. Alfred Lemon heads the Williams Research Center at the historic New Orleans collection, and he joins us with details. Alfred, welcome to Louisiana Considered. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be with you again. Now, Alfred, this concert complements the historic New Orleans collection's current exhibit, Spanish New Orleans and the Caribbean, which focuses on the city's Spanish colonial period. How does this concert enhance the museum experience? One of the things that is very, very important for people to realize is that the Spaniards had an extraordinarily high level of musical culture. They loved music. For example, when they came over on their tiny little ships, they found space not only to bring musical instruments, 
but music both printed and manuscript. Now, when you consider that they had only about 16 or 20 square feet to live in for 60 days, that gives you somewhat of an idea of their appreciation of music. And at the same time, the Native Americans of the New World had a very high appreciation of music. Now, there were several differences. First of all, the New World Native Americans, they only basically had what we would refer to today as liturgical music, whereas the Spaniards had a wide-ranging variety of liturgical music, plus secular music, plus they had keyboards that the Native Americans did not know about. And that would be ranged from harpsichords to organs. They also had stringed instruments, which the Native Americans did not know about. And they also had polyphony, or singing in parts. In other words, soprano, alto, tenor, bass. The Native Americans and the Spaniards shared a tremendous love of music. Now, in this concert, Alfred, can you tell us who the performers are and what they will play? The music selected is designed to reflect the music that the Spanish governors would have heard if not in New Orleans, in other places where they were posted. So, for example, there will be some Gregorian chants alternating with polyphony. There will be music written by Indians. And the wonderful thing is, there was the music written by the Native Americans is actually in three languages. Spanish, Nahuatl or Aztec, and Quechua or the language of the Inca. And so it will show you just the incredible merging of these cultures. And one of the things that's interesting is that the piece that we chose to represent the music of Peru is written by an Indian student of a missionary. But it is the first 
Recipes of Polyphony, published in the New World, which shows you this extreme love of music and how the Native Americans and Spaniards merged their musical love. The program will also include some Viancicos, which originally started out as folk music, but as time went on, became very sophisticated and became primarily Christmas music. We feel we've assembled an excellent team to do this concert. We have Paul Weber, who established the Cru de Voix Chamber Choir. And of course, Paul has an incredible education in early music. He's the organist choir master at Trinity Episcopal. And the other person involved is the multi-instrumentalist, Mahmoud Chuki, who is well-known in the community. He will bring several aspects to the music, such as the percussion, the role of percussion, which was very important. And of course, in Spain, the guitar was sort of a national instrument, and he will play several pieces by Gaspar Sanz, S-A-N-Z, who wrote several very important music theory books, performance guides for guitar. We feel that this will enrich the exhibition tremendously because Spain is so critical to the establishment of music in New Orleans and in Louisiana. Alfred Lemon, director of the Williams Research Center at the Historic New Orleans Collection. Happy holidays. Same to you, and thank you so much for having me back. The Historic New Orleans Collection presents La Noche Buena, Spanish Christmas music of the New World, a holidays New Orleans-style concert, Thursday, December 15th, 6 p.m. at St. Louis Cathedral. More info at hnoc.org. WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. This has been Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Thanks to our guest from the Gulf States Newsroom, WBHM reporter Kyra Miles, Arts New Orleans CEO Joycelyn Reynolds, and Alfred Lemon, head of the Williams Research Center at the historic New Orleans Collection. 
Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber. And our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman and Aubrey Procell. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation.